You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. Well, just like Star Trek itself, if you keep waiting long enough, we eventually come back. It's Monday at 7 Pacific, 10 Eastern, and it must be Mission Log Live. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Tonight, a very special episode of Mission Log Live. But then again, they're all special in their own way, aren't they, John? I think yes, they are. I think they yeah. are. I believe they are. Yeah. And, you know, we're days away from the release of Star Trek Picard Season 3. And in honor of bridging the gaps between the next generation and now... We have, and we are welcoming an insider from both the effects and artist extraordinaire, Mr. Doug Drexler. If you've got questions and if you've got comments or maybe just praise for Doug's work, we have answers or maybe just Doug will like accept the praise for your work. So join, <laughs> <laughs> join the conversation. Click I'm on the so Zoom excited. link <laughs> or use the one tap from your smartphone or call us at 669-900-6833. Enter the meeting code and our esteemed Earl, the Duke of Earl of the Green Room will let you in or... Is it the Earl of the Duke's Green Room? We don't know. We don't care don't because it's his room. Yeah, right. <laughs> we don't know. All right. Let's say hi to folks who are in the chat, both on uh, YouTube and Facebook, joining us live. It's our first show of 2023, and it is so cool to see familiar faces out there. So let's see both Pauls. We got two Pauls. Are we going to have three tonight? I don't know. Mm. But Paul one, Paul two. Glad to see you both. There's Jane jumping in. There's Lisa all the way from Northern Virginia. There's Donnie. Let's see here. Uh, from Western Washington. There is Chris Riker. Good to see you, my friend. There's Captain Robert April. Excellent. We have a celebrity wow. now, so along with our celebrity guest. Part of the okay. Mission Log family, Heather Barker is joining us. Uh, let's see here. David is there. Mike Richards, who I, I feel like will probably call in tonight. There's maybe. Alan. Maybe. There's yeah. Alan. There's David. Uh, let's see. There's other David. So we got two Davids. Wait, we got three Davids giving the Pauls a run for their money. That's a full house. Uh, three yeah, Davids over full, two Pauls. Right? Yeah, two Pauls yeah. and three Davids. I, I yeah. guess you you win. That's a strong hand. Uh, we got we Lisa. Paul on Enterprise. <laughs> we got Lisa who says, I'm here to see Doug Drexler. Yes, you are. So we'll get are. to Doug in just a second. And uh, let's see here. We got John Cooley. 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 Oh. Uh, we got, uh, oh, my God, so many people joining. Jeff, Ben, uh, Jack, so many folks. I am so glad that you are all here. There's Rhea and there's Camille. There's so many people saying hi. I am so glad to see you all. Norman, before we get to our guests before we get to our calls let's do a quick rundown of what's coming up this week in mission log world shall we uh we shall. why don't you tell us what's happening on mission log this week okay so this week we are going to be dropping a new episode this thursday with hold your breath people <gasps> the swarm Ooh. Okay, so if you don't remember the swarm, you're going to remember it after our recap of it. So as always, you can send your emails and comments, and I'm sure that you're going to have some on the swarm to missionlog at roddenberry.com if you feel inclined to do so, to remark on what we said or didn't say on this Thursday's podcast. You can also find us on YouTube at Roddenberry Entertainment to catch up on all the content that we have, including Mission Log Prodigy, Mission Log Prodigy. So uh, in the interim, because Mission Log Prodigy is uh, probably going to be seen maybe later Later this 2023, maybe somewhere around October-ish. We don't know, mm-hmm. but that's what we're hoping. Mm-hmm. Uh, until then, you can always find us uh, on our YouTube video there on Roddenberry Entertainment. And uh, Shar and I, uh, we are covering 
uh, a lot of, uh, say, interviews and products, and especially our latest release with the DVD season one through 10, which is only half the season of season one, and right. some of the special features. Uh, but more importantly, this is what you want to take a listen to. You want to look at the mission log, the Orville. Do not miss yes. the most recent interview with Captain Mike Richards and Jessica Linverde. They did this with Brandon Braga one of two parts this week. So there's a two-part interview. This one you want to listen to, and then next week comes out this Wednesday. Uh, the next episode comes out this Wednesday. They deep dive into Star Trek and the Orville. You know, so, and you know Mike's and Jessica's style. They're candid. They're funny. They're fantastic. You want to listen to it? Absolutely. And make sure you stay in touch with all of our podcasts at podcasts.roddenberry.com. I couldn't have said it better myself. So, uh, without further ado, because, look, the man is here. He is full of energy. He is ready to go. He is ready to talk to all of you. He has worked on Star Trek since The Next Generation. He has worked behind the scenes as a makeup artist, scenic artist, illustrator, CG artist. Look, there's so many titles. I'm not even kidding you. I, I had to text him earlier and say, what is your title on this one? Because we don't even know. Okay, there's too many skills to fit on a single page. He is an Emmy and Academy Award winner, and that's just two out of multiple. He is Doug Drexler. Oh, Most importantly, oh, he is our friend. Oh, Welcome, Doug. <laughs> Welcome to the oh, show. Lies, lies. <laughs> Not a lie. That didn't go far enough. That's yeah. uh, that's the thing. All it's right, it's been a crazy career, and you know, and and I mean, not. Star Trek is my first love, but you know, I mean, it was yeah. Battlestar Galactic. I was on Orville too, you know. Yeah, uh, it's crazy. I mean, I can't even believe. Uh, uh, I can't. It's just I'm writing my memoir, you know, as we speak. Yeah, and uh, I'm flipping through it. I mean, I got already over 300 pages, and I'm re- looking through it, and I'm going, "This is impossible. Like this could be happening. It's it's lies, all lies. No, it's not. It's <laughs> just crazy stuff." Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, Star Trek. Star Trek has looked after me my entire life. Uh, you know, I was watching the show first run in 1966, first season in black and white. You know, and I was just remarking on how one of the things about Star Trek Picard is that it's next generation coming full circle for everybody, not just in front of the camera but behind the camera too. You know, so it's like. When I say Star Trek has looked after me for my entire life, I had mentioned to you that, you know, when my darling Dorth had passed, Barbara Luna, who was one of my heroes from the original series, just was looking after me constantly to make sure I was okay and take care of me and be there for me. And that's like absolutely the Twilight Zone. Amazing. <laughs> you know, she's one of my best friends. Yeah. Well, let's kind of go back a little bit, because that, to me, is such an amazing part of the story, is that you grew up a fan, and then you you sort of stepped into the professional world where, it, you, you know, the, the store and all the fan outreach that was happening out of New York, and then you find yourself in Hollywood, you start working in makeup, you find yourself on Next Gen, so you have this whole career in Star Trek, and then it seems like at a certain point, Okay, the Star Trek part of the career is done, but Star Trek never really ends. Well, you know, it's <laughs> and then like suddenly the you get a call to come back on forever. You know, yeah, and yeah. it really has. <laughs> it truly has. Yeah, um, were you surprised to get a call to come back into Picard? Well, yes. I mean, 
at the point where the, the the Berman era of Star Trek came to an end, and that was Enterprise. Yeah. Um, it was a few years before J.J. Abrams started up his thing, and uh, they had kind of made a decision that uh, some of the departments or department heads were like, well, we really don't want to bring people in who know the show because we want to, you know, do a new spin on it. And I know a lot of my friends who worked on the uh, the older shows, uh, uh, that that was an issue, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was okay with that because I had just gone to Battlestar Galactica. And in a way, it was beneficial to me that Enterprise was canceled because I went to BSG and worked with Gary, who was from Star Trek. And we, you know, were nominated for a, a bunch of Emmys and won a couple, mm-hmm. you know. So that break was actually a bonus for me, you know. Whether I, I didn't think... I really didn't think any of us would ever be back on Star Trek again. But the thing was that, and I totally understand that. If you get a production designer, he's going to say, I want to put my mark on this. There's two kinds. You're going to get someone who wants to put their own mark on the show. And I totally understand that. Or or you're going to get somebody who really grew up on the show and is really interested in the continuity. Now, I used to be, I am a continuity freak. But the, <laughs> the thing is that um, Star Trek being science fiction it's supposed to be stretched 10,000 directions. And somewhere along the line, the Star Trek universe splintered like the multiverse of madness. And all these shows are not in the same timeline. This, to me, Discovery is not in the TNG timeline. Those are two different timelines, two different universes. So if I look at it that way, I'm okay with all the little things that don't exactly line up. But I will say that Picard is the first show since Enterprise ended that is in that universe. And you will feel like you're in that universe again. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, John. Like, no, no, that, 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 Doug, that brings up an interesting point because, you know, on Mission Log, you know, John and I have said that this era from like 1987 to 2005, you know, that we, we consider that the design-wise, like the Herman Zimmerman era, you know, like everyone knows that there is a certain kind of um, like shorthand. When you look at Star Trek, you look at the L cars, you look at the way that certain things are designed, the phasers, the, the ship designs, the costume designs, etc. That's of a certain era. So when you when you move forward into say Picard, and what is it about moving forward with this series that is challenging to make it future forward, but at the same time bring that through line from the era that you worked on for so long? Is is that something that was daunting or did you really just did you challenge yourself like i want this no i think i I, it wasn't it wasn't really daunting i mean we knew it was challenging i I thought i felt that i mean like i was mostly involved with ships and what dave blass god bless dave blass because it was dave who brought me and michael kuda in and stuff because he was a, a, a fan of all those you know, that Herman Zimmerman era and so wanted us to be involved with it. And we had Terry Metalis as the showrunner who had been with us like as an assistant on uh, <laughs> Voyager and Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, when, you know, this is so much a part of our DNA that it, it seemed totally natural to, 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 you know, fade back into it and try to bring it, you know, further along. I think for one thing, the ships the interiors are a little more of a challenge, I think, of the ship. I think the exteriors, to us, there's a there's an aesthetic and a design aesthetic 
that we wanted to carry forward that we haven't seen in a long time on some of the shows. Um, and I think that if we did that and did it sleekly, everyone would love it. And the reactions have been really great. You know, I mean, the first time people saw the stargazer yeah. and there was a long loving shot of it and you could look at it and go, Oh my God, the hell plating makes sense. And those are phaser strips and I see an airlock and you know, so, um, for us, that was the goal to, to bring the ships and the aesthetic that we all loved just forward, a, you know, a little bit, a turn of the screw forward into the future. It's crazier if you're going a thousand years into the future, then you really, that's why a ship that's as far out as the Enterprise J. The J, yeah. You yeah. Know? yeah. Mm-hmm. With the J, <laughs> if people aren't looking at it and saying, that's stupid, you failed. Because if it if it doesn't get that reaction, it you haven't gone far enough. I mean, like for instance, um, I'm sorry, I tend to go all over the place, but <laughs> when the original series came out, I used to get in arguments with as a kid with people over the Enterprise because of the struts on the warp nacelles. They would mock those and say how ridiculous that was, and I, to me, it shows a kind of weakness in a person's character when you do that you're not looking at it and saying wow they obviously have technologies far beyond what we know to be able to do that which mm-hmm. uh, you know uh instead you get people who say boy are they stupid they did such a stupid thing there why are you just jumping to the criticism think about what that says in the design you know matt jeffries who was a designer of the original ship and Gene Roddenberry, they were both aviators. Matt was a flight engineer. And you know, it's like, I'm sorry if I'm spinning off here, but in the uh, season two, they had scenes on board the Stargazer with those shiny floors, almost like mirrors. And I read so many comments. Oh, floor gate. I remember this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, They're saying, (laughs) oh my God, how can anybody even walk on those floors? How can you be sliding like ice? And I'm thinking, dude, do you really think Starfleet would put floors on their ship that people can't walk and run on? Honestly, you can accept that they could fly across the universe. <laughs> right. Original series, you can accept Requiem from Medusa. You're able, you know, it's like a, a window on the bridge. Right, right. You can yep. accept a guy who's been uh, Michelangelo and, you know, all these people all through you know, history, like in Requiem from Methuselah, but you got a problem with the window on the bridge. I mean, it was like I don't get that. Uh, I don't know where I was going with that. Well, anyway. well, well by the way, it, it, in the oh, chat. Yeah, but the floors, like for instance, yeah. I yeah. loved the shiny floors. Um, to me, I'm from New York City. And the bridge on the Stargazer looks like Rockefeller Center to me. The floors are, you know, you ah, okay. in Manhattan, uh-huh. mm-hmm. you use the shiny mirror-like floors. And trust me, you can run on them because I can mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's the aesthetic of the new stuff that Dave has done is really beautiful and um, and and really thought about. And, of course, my very, very favorite thing is the return of the L-Cars, you know, Michael Kuda's L-Cars, which says Star Trek. It's a it's one of the fingerprints of the show. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. when when we went to visit the sets all lit up. What they did to bring L cars into the future 
with the giant rear projections. And I mean, they've got monitors that are so thin that you could use them as button panels and stuff. Everything is interactive now. I mean, we were on TNG back in the day. Those were film negatives with uh, uh, lighting gels spray glued to the back, you know. And now I'm on the bridge and, oh, you know, as a matter of fact, we had, you know, those see-through monitors. Uh, and you saw them a lot in uh, in the helicarrier in the Marvel movies. I, when I first saw those, I'm like, well, who the hell wants a monitor you could see through? You know, I mean, it's like, isn't that distracting? <laughs> but all I can say is that when I saw these uh, on the bridge of the, of, uh, the Stargazer, it was just interesting how your mind turns off everything behind it. I'm just seeing what's on the, you know, the transparent piece of glass that the images are playing up. So I had a total turnaround on on those things, you know. Doug, I'm going to interrupt you just for a moment because in the chat, uh, Heather is seconding your enthusiasm by saying, I love how many people working on this era of Star Trek truly love the show. Their passion is always electric, very invigorating. That is that is Doug to a T. I love that. Thank uh, you. For sure. And then uh, Chris Riker, I love this comment. He says, I have one wish for production designs that we get a scene where we see a worker on the hull bonding two sections together so perfectly there is literally no seam. Unibody. <laughs> That's the magic of the 60s model that I will always love. So nicely said, uh, Chris. And then uh, we have a couple of callers standing by who I want to bring in. So I do want to bring in Captain Mike, who I I believe is calling from the bridge of the Orville. Oh, uh, very nice. Yeah, Mike, welcome to the show. (laughs) How's it going tonight? Man, it is going great. And just, just to echo, uh, Heather's enthusiasm <laughs> and to your, and, and Doug to yours. I grew up right down the street from you, man. I was, I was in Comac, Long Island. Oh and, my God. Uh, really? I, I used to see the, the Star Trek club flyers that used to hang around, uh, all over central Long Island back then. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I didn't see those, but I read about them. Uh, but man, thanks for your enthusiasm. Thanks for doing this kind of work. And you know, it's, it's that kind of passion and flying off on those kind of tangents that shows the creativity <laughs> and the love, uh, for this show. Show. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm dialing in. I, we, we have a sister show called uh, Mission Log of the Orville, where we do a deep dive into each and every episode of the Orville. Looking uh, for BC messages, says Captain meetings. Who. <laughs> that's Captain fine. Who, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so I, I want to just ask you a little bit of, uh, a little bit about your time on the Orville. Um, I believe you were in the, the art department, but just yeah. like your sidebar with, with Earl, you probably did a little bit of everything except maybe Best Boy and uh, a recurring yeah, guest star. That's just it. When, um, now, when <clears throat> Stephen Weinweaver and uh, Robert Strohmeyer hired me, uh, they actually didn't know anything about my Star Trek past. Until I actually came in. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was recommended by Jeff Mandel, who I've known forever and ever and ever, you know, since he was like 14 years old. And he recommended me for it. And um, I remember I remember I went in and I had like a um, art station page. And they were looking at it. And uh, (laughs) Robert told me later, he said, I don't tell this to everybody, but when we were looking at your stuff, he was doing a little like dance because he's like, Oh my God, this guy, he has all, he knows how to do this already. If you bring in just a regular graphic designer and you know, everyone in the union is really good, but it's in my DNA to do this type of thing. That's what I do. You know? So he was all excited. And he said to me, he says, I never tell this to people, but if you'll remember, I said to you, if you want the job, you have it. 
usually they let people sit for a couple of days and worry, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, they brought me in, and I, of course I was thrilled. And you know, I'm uh, I I watched the show, and I had had a, once I knew I was going to be on the show. I watched every episode, and that horseshoe arch in the back behind you, right, used to be just like um, carpeting on the wall. Mm-hmm. If you remember, I do. Now, that was the first thing I thought when I watched the show. I'm like, oh my God, here's mostly what you're going to see. Because you're looking at the captain, you're looking at the first officer, and then maybe you're looking at the viewing screen. You're going back and forth. All the cool stuff was on the sides. And you only would see that stuff when you had an actual scene with Isaac or whatever. So I remember thinking, wow, would I love to do something with that arch back there? And it was the first thing they gave me when I came in. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. <laughs> oh, that's so, great. Yeah. And for anybody who doesn't doesn't know, this is the uh, Orville New Horizons, the, the the third season bridge, which is different than the, the first two. So that's what that's what Doug's referring to. Yeah, I had a ball doing that thing and uh, it was wonderful. And well, I just remember that we had a, they had had some conceptual stuff done that was like maybe hexagonal uh you know, lighting back there and stuff. And I think that there was a sample of it done and Seth was like, it looks like a discotheque, you know, and Mm -hmm. it did, you know, it didn't look, you know, there's science fiction design and then there's design that we call aircraft logic. Right. She got that from Matt Jeffries. And a lot of ships are that. That ship is not really aircraft logic. It's science fiction. Star Trek starships are aircraft logic. They're not science fiction designs. You know, so that's the way I approached that horseshoe back there. Um, I remember Stephen and Robert were having me do different ideas and uh, it wasn't getting by Seth. He wasn't really liking it. <clears throat> and I remember one day Stephen came up to me and said, you know what? Just do what you think is right. And I did like four versions of that thing and it, it flew right by him. He loved it and it looked awesome. And since it was the first thing I did, I was crapping my pants that when the first time Seth walked on the bridge and saw it, that he was going to like it. You never know. You know? Yeah, uh, you never do. I, I do know that that he, he has said, you know, going back and looking at seasons one and seasons two and some of the design work and some of the, some of the artwork in general, that he, uh, uh, he doesn't like to look at it because of how far the show has come. And I think you have a lot to do with how far the show came um, in season three. Uh, when you were there and, you know, you had, um, I think, I think Marvin Rush had moved on at, at that time by season three, but, uh, you know, Brandon was around. Um, there were other folks, you know, from the Star Trek world that were, you know, really kind of ingrained in the show. Uh, yeah, was, yeah exactly. You know, um, was it kind of like getting the old band back together? Yeah. Um, I know that those of us who worked on, you know, Star Trek before were tickled that, you know, have members of our old, uh, uh, a gang around. I mean, Andre and I used to chat all the time and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it was like ho- old home week in a lot of ways. And also the other thing was that there were a number of people on the show who grew up on shows we did. Right. And we're all excited, you know, that we were there, you know. Uh, uh, but yeah, it was, a, I, I had a wonderful time on the show and, I, and, I, and there was another family for me there too, you know. Right. And just just another couple of things I wanted to point out, because, I mean, you're probably too humble to point it out, but but the redesigned uh, hangar deck, um, which was much, much more functional. It looked like you had a lot of I knew you would notice. Well, you know, that was one of the other things when I watched the show and they went on a hangar deck. There were all these markings on the floor. 
I could see something I thought was in the center that looked almost like a turntable that I thought was influenced by the original series. Um, but when I looked at it, it just didn't tell a story about it, what it would do. And one of the great things about Star Trek design, anything that's aircraft logic, is that half the fun is looking at it and figuring out how it works without anyone telling you and extrapolating on what it might do. And, you know, so... <clears throat> uh, yeah, it was funny. Once again, Stephen and Robert came to me and said, we want to redo the floor of the hangar deck. And I was like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> and I did a whole bunch of designs, and all of them were functional. You know, and there's things about, I mean, you could see now that there are lifts. You know, the demarcations on the floor, those are lifts, like on an aircraft carrier, the way I've designed it. And that one that the fighter lands on, you don't see it, but it's hinged on one end. Fighter comes and lands, and it hinges down, and the fighter slides down underneath it. And you could fire them out that way, two fires. Uh, so I had an absolute ball doing that, you know, and putting the, the logic into it and the story behind it. Anyone who wants to look at it is going to go, oh, I see it. I see what they're doing here. If you look at that and you're going, what the hell is it doing there? Then that's <laughs> not good, you know. But like I said, it's there are lots of really terrific graphic designers. But if you don't have this in your blood and your DNA – and you haven't been looking at it for 50 years or whatever, you're just, it's just not, you're going to do a, see, that's it. You're going to do a science fiction design, you know? Right. These shows, Orville, and especially Star Trek, the design, they have that candy coating of futuristic or science fiction, but the closer you look at them, that's the allure of a starship. The more you look at them, the more you extrapolate, like we, we did the NX, that is probably the most thought-out surface detail on any starship ever. Mike Okuda and I sat around and talked about it constantly, and every panel is thought out, you know. And we knew that people who were really into starships would be taking that thing apart and saying, I get what's over here based on what I know about starships. That's why Stargazer was such a hit when it first appeared. And uh, the ship's... There's a lot of starship porn in Picard. One of the wonderful things is that uh, uh, it, Picard gets back to basics in season three. Season one and two are really interesting. They're not, it's kind of like when we went from Galactica to do Caprica. People mm. are like, well, where's, mm. the, where's the killer robots and the battles? There's certain things that people want when they watch Star Trek, and one of them is starships. The first two seasons of Picard are much, much more character-based about what's going on with Picard. And make some people impatient, you know. But I think that when you look at all three seasons together and you see what they built with who he is at that time and then finally come to this third season to have this great outer space adventure with lots of starships and all kinds of oh, – we got space stations and it's really – it's pretty awesome. I haven't seen all the episodes. I've only seen the first couple and I've seen effect shots as they've been going along. But uh, it's really exciting. I think people are – are going to love it. Um, you know, you, you see your old friends again, and I'm telling you, I know those people. I was a makeup artist on Next Generation. I know what they're like. And I know they just fell right in and had a ball and probably were laughing all the time because that's the way the set was on TNG. It was like a nightclub. Well, I, I can't I can't wait to see that. Um, speaking of the sets on the Orville, uh, do they still exist and, and will they be used again? Well, oh, nice question. We, That's oh, not a wow. question. Wait, Mike. Well Mike. That's why you get yeah. the big bucks. Yeah, we, we have not gotten an official word from anyone yet. 
But just by my observation, the idea that it went from Hulu to Disney Plus kind of says it all. You know, they wouldn't have done that unless it did really well for them. Um, I believe there'll be a season four. I um, I would assume that this. I know the sets were disassembled because you can't hold. It's not like the old days where you'd go on a three month hiatus and come back. You know how things are now. It could be uh, oh, sure. you know, like two years. Yeah, uh, which is crazy, but. Um, I'm certain that the important parts of the set were, you know, uh, disassembled and folded and held somewhere, you know. Uh, I mean, I know the shuttles were hung on to and but, uh, everything will have to be re- reassembled and it may call for some more interesting design work going on to flesh things out even more. Look at engineering what happened in season three. Oh, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. That engineering, the first time I saw it, I was like... I don't believe this runs anything. You know, it was just so small and, you know, unimpressive. And um, they, you know, it was just like the back of the bridge and, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the floor of the hangar bay. When they got the third season, Seth and, you know, Stephen and Robert, I guess, realized the weaknesses that the show had. And then they took engineering and made it one of the most amazing engineerings I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, it's split level and, uh, it's just awesome. Uh, and we got to do lots of interesting, uh, you know, animations. And this a big cutaway. That I remember Stephen and Robert would a- were asking me what I would put on that big, you know, panel up on the second level. And I said, well, it's got to be a big master systems display of the ship, all the turns and stuff like that, you know, which is what they did. But, um, yeah, they really, really raised the bar. And some of the stories, uh, I mean, one of them, of course, I'm in a very unstable emotional state because of what has happened to me in the last year. Yeah. But there was one episode, I think it was called um, uh, Twice in a Lifetime, mm-hmm. where Malloy is like flung back into the past. Yeah. And uh, I actually broke down and, and wept when they t- when he had to, they said they were taking him back. And he said, I'll, I'll fight you. I'll kill you if I have to. I'm not leaving. And it, it just tore my heart out because I kind of felt like he, they were threatening to take his whole life from him and I felt like I had just lost mine. But it's just a wonderful episode. They did some yeah. shows. As a matter of fact, two... there was one episode they didn't get to do because of COVID. They made a uh, uh a novella out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh it, it it they were gonna shoot it, believe it or not, they were gonna shoot it in Czechoslovakia. They had locations and they were all set to go and then COVID hit. And uh I mean every everyone who's read the novella knows the story, but basically it's and tell me if I'm blathering too much here. But uh, basically, it's a story about it starts in Nazi Germany in like 1933, following some kid who eventually becomes a commandant at a concentration camp. A brutal one. you know. Yeah, we we, uh, we covered it on uh, Mission Log the Orville. I believe it's episode numbered 311 uh, being. I was kind of so disappointed. Three. It was the most one of the it reminded me so much. It was the most Star Trek episode. That I that I'd ever seen for the show. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant, and the audiobook is narrated by uh by the amazing Bruce Boxleitner. Oh, um, really? Doug, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do John. Uh, I'm gonna be gracious and excuse myself before <laughs> he gives me the hook. <laughs> um, but but I do want to say before I go because I I have been looking forward to talking to you for for like 
for years. Um, you know, my grandfather used to tell me, uh, if you're lucky enough to do what you love, you never have to work a day in your life. I, I, I really think that although what you do probably does seem like work sometimes, um, your enthusiasm and what you do and your love for it, it's just, it's infectious, man. And I just, uh, just, just want to, want to say nothing but respect for you and, uh, to everybody else out there, uh, be like Doug. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, honestly, I, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, you know, and I have been. Uh, and Star Trek is, I can't even explain it. it. It's just inexplicable. You know, we all know it. We've all seen it. Watch, how, is it, how has this happened? The power that it has. I mean, I talk to people all the time about how the show pulled them through some difficult times in their lives. The show pretty mm-hmm. much rescued me when I was a teenager in like junior high school and high school where I didn't fit in because I was a science fiction geek. Everyone played football and basketball and I couldn't do any of that. And uh, Star Trek just pulled me through that. You know, like a character like Spock, who isn't completely accepted by the crew in season one. You know, he's kind of an outsider, you know. That really helped me a lot. And Star Trek helps people all the time and inspires people to go on and be astronauts and scientists. It's absolutely amazing. Mike, thanks for joining us tonight. And uh, we do have a couple of other callers standing by. Now is your opportunity to call in and talk to Earl in the Earl Green Room if you would like to chat with Doug, uh, because let's face it, this is a blast. But look, we are at the bottom of the hour, and uh, we have to pay some bills. So that's what we're going to do right now. We want to introduce all of you to our new sponsor, who is Toink.com. That is T-O-Y-N-K.com. And here's what's great about them. If you go to their website, you will find all kinds of licensed products, not just Star Trek, but all kinds of stuff. But what you are going to find from Star Trek, and you'll see it on your screen now, is just a ton of officially licensed products from CBS. There are exclusive releases And get this, they have deals like buy three, get one free. If you just look for the blue dot on your favorite products, you will find it there. If it's a buy three, get one free, you get a free gift with a $50 purchase and you get free shipping in the contiguous United States. They have a rewards program so you can earn while you shop. And best yet, you can take 15% off your order with the checkout code Roddenberry. Now, Norm, why don't you tell us about some of the amazing products that they have at Toink.com just for our Star Trek audience? Well, some of the products that we love, and and you will see in a moment, uh, we love the, uh, the the quality of the products, especially the comfort of the original series bathrobes. The bathrobes are comfortable. They come in this wonderful waffle pattern. Uh, the material is comfortable. It's soft. It's relaxing. It's something that you want to lounge in. They have this incredible 3D printed model of the Vasquez Rocks, the iconic Vasquez Rocks uh, that's uh, perfect for your desk you know, at home or your office. They have this incredible L-car style dinnerware set. So you can have that uh, aesthetic, if you would like that, on your on your dinner table or wherever you would like to have your meals. Uh, and then, oh, this is something, John, this is very special. Yes. The Star Trek Picard dinnerware set directly from season three, screen accurate, yes. as we have seen. You or will see it in we, season we will see one, it in, in episode one. In episode one. So of, you can uh, get that dinnerware set for yourself if you go to twink.com. Right. Yep. And across the screen that you've seen so far uh, mm-hmm. on uh, some of the graphics, you have seen this incredible decanter set right here, right now. There's a decanter set. It's a wonderful, heavy glass decanter. It fills a 710 milliliter uh, bottle 
bottle of your favorite spirit. It also comes with four incredibly stout uh, mm-hmm. um, tumblers that you can uh, have your favorite spirit with. Uh Let's see what else is there. The TOS style wall communicator. We yes. all know that, right? Yes. That's where you would push that little white button and then you would have the bosun's call, uh-huh. you know, and you would be able to talk to anyone in the ship. Uh, let's see. If I take a giant inhale, I wouldn't be able to get out <laughs> all of the products in my exhale because they are fantastic. They're screen accurate. They are wonderful. They are for your prop collectors or for your collectors at home, for your office and much more. Yeah. So our listeners get to take an additional 15% off their orders. Remember, they already have the great deals. I already told you about those, but you take 15 additional percent off when you use our exclusive code Roddenberry at checkout. So shop today at toink.com. That's T-O-Y-N-K.com. And, uh, oh, Norman, I... I, I see. You oh, hello, John. Changed. You, you slipped into something uh, a little more Star Trekky for the rest of the show. This old thing. This something <laughs> I slipped on. Uh huh. Yeah. You know. You look, you look good, fabulous. You look fabulous, hey, sir. You. Yeah. You look fabulous. No, you look fabulous, I, sir. No, you. Yeah. You, sir. Always fabulous. All right, let's get back to the show because we have Paul standing patiently by <laughs> to talk to uh, to talk to our buddy Doug. Paul, what is on your mind oh. tonight? Doug Drexler, what an honor. Oh, man, am I muted? Oh, you are on. Yeah, oh, oh, I love your cutout back there. <laughs> yeah, we we represent everything we try to get. We got a triple over here and, you know, stuff and Emerson Lake and Palmer and, you know, whatever. <laughs> I feel, I feel and, and these two can attest to it, if, if we got in a room and started talking, I think they'd have to move all the furniture with the way we move our arms around and stuff because oh, yeah, I, yeah, it, yeah. it'd be pretty exciting. Uh, um, you know, and not to get away from Star Trek, but I'll tell this as quickly as I can. When I... F- first went to work with dick smith the makeup artist uh as his right hand man he had me come up to his house i was scared i'm making this real short i was real nervous i'm i'm hoping i'm going to sound smart and i'm doing this a lot and talking and trying to explain and on the table there was a bar of butter that he was buttering crackers for i hooked it on my pinky and it flipped up and i told the story to william shatner and he was red in the face laughing i flipped this <laughs> bar butter up in the air and it went up in the air it was like the bone in 2001 and it came down right in dick smith's lap and we both went and looked at each other and i just realized i had done the, the most horrible thing you could imagine when i was trying to impress him and i and it was always lost i mean i so i just burst out laughing i couldn't help it i just burst out laughing and then he burst out laughing and after that it was like two kids there were, the ice was utterly broken. So if you ever get yourself in a position like that, flip a bar of butter into your boss's lap. And there, <laughs> I got to say. done very similar things <laughs> several times. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> so uh, as a model maker, I, I dabble in the construction of uh, plastic models and have been since I've been, you know, since Trek started, right? I have the original AMT kind of thing, and I found it the other day. Um the a couple of things on that end. A, how many different colors are actually in um, the Enterprise? That's the Enterprise Enterprise, the NXO one. I mean, when you're a model oh. maker trying to replicate that stupid Aztec pattern, not stupid, <laughs> that very descriptive Aztec challenging, pattern, challenging, challenging, challenging. Um, I'm telling you, there are people who will get into arguments about, well, it's not done right, and other people just paint it silver and sort of dust it here and there. I mean, is there any advice you'd give somebody who is actually trying to do that live I mean, rather than digital? One of the digital? best paint jobs I've ever seen was done by. Um, uh, I got it right here. 
Oh, the FX company? They used to do stuff for... Um, SFX. That one? John, what's his name? I'm sorry, John, I forgot your last name. Uh, they made me a model of the NX, and, and I provided them with lots of reference. Oh, QMX? QMX. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, they made yeah, them that thing was beautiful. Yeah. yeah, that was the one with the mirror table, and there are pictures of you, Doug, right next to it. Yeah, all over the marketing yeah. for that. that I, piece. I loved. Yeah. I thought they did a wonderful job because it's hard to kind of translate what the hull really looks like. Because number one, <laughs> it's a made-up ship. <laughs> Let's remember, it's made up. <laughs> it's a made-up spaceship. Well, yeah, and it is. Well, it is CG also. It's not like you're actually painting it. You're getting a lot of surface detailing, and uh, the way the light's flowing over it is a combination of different layers of textures in the program. Um, and it's not – and you never really see the NX really brightly lit. Everything – that's where Star Trek started to look really dark. Space shots were very dark. Uh, and I was also thought the ship was uh, kind of dark as well. It was it, it was very uh, gunmetally and dark. Yeah, yeah. I would love to. You know, the original series was and TNG. Mo- a lot of the shots were all brightly lit because they wouldn't be able to cut them all together and it all match. That's something Bob Justman brought to it from the original series. All these shots have to be able to go together, uh, no matter how we want to cut it. So yes. people have a difficult time looking at it on the show and really sussing it out and figuring out what it looks like. Uh, but it is really like, um, it's it's almost an aircraft aluminum, yeah. but with a variety of, you know, a level of, of darkness and brightness. Um, it's a tricky one. I've seen decals for it that don't quite do it, but, it, you know. Yeah, oh, I do know. Trust me. I know. I, I know. Um, along those lines, you mentioned the J earlier. And the first time I saw it, well, I saw the J years ago, but then I recently I, I bought a book and there it was and it's full glory. I'm like, it reminded me of Discovery. When you take a look at the way those. Don't want to hurt my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> it, isn't it very. No, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm just. The, simi- <laughs> the similarities are, are. I don't just, see the similarities at all. No, you don't. Okay. You know, um, you know, discovery is this hoop with a turning thing in the center and very hard angles. It's got uh, it's got hard angles on it, like a Klingon ship. I mean, save that for the Klingons. You know, Mm. to me, Starfleet starships are organic and almost like a a marine animal. And I never got that from the Discovery. And Discovery is not. I don't, I don't, I don't, this is just a personal opinion. So people who love the discovery don't get upset with me. But to me, that's a science fiction design. I don't see the aircraft logic in it. Okay. So, um, um, John Eves, we've run into a couple times at modeling shows. And I just wonder, yeah, he's, he's, I just wonder what's your relationship in the the artistic realm on these shows with John? I mean, it's got to be fun, but what are the actual, you know, the oh, God, well, first of all, we always have a fantastic time laughing, and we always did, all the way back to Deep Space Nine. And, and uh, the way it usually worked on those shows was that, and it's like when you go into an art department and you're brought in as a graphic designer, which is what I was on Deep Space Nine, and um, that you're doing graphics at first, but then eventually Herman walks by your desk and sees that you're doing sketches. And sees that you're doing CG models and stuff. And before you know it, if John is too busy, because he was a lead illustrator, it would get to, I would, I would, it would be me, you know, 
like designing things like the Romulan shuttle or the Chaffee and stuff like that, the Chaffee shuttle. Um, and I had a great time doing it. But the beauty of that is if you're the regular illustrator, you're expected to do it every day and be a genius at it. And this is what you do. If you're a graphic artist and they bring you in because so-and-so's busy, you're a hero. You know, and you can't do any wrong. They're so ex- happy to have an extra person. So I always felt like the pressure was not as not the pressure wasn't so much on me as it was on John. I've, but you know what? He never shows pressure. He he's always happy. He's always smiling and laughing and pulling practical jokes, and he pulls some amazing practical jokes. Uh, but on Picard, it was different. Um, first of all, John and I always would say, gee, we'd love to get to work together again. You know, that would be a dream and do some ships. Uh, Dave Blass was talking to me on Messenger on Facebook. I didn't know that he was going to be doing Picard. He was just someone who loved the show, and we were chatting and back and forth, and then he lets me know one day. (laughs) And uh, it was, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, here's this guy, he's a production designer, and we're geeking out for like weeks before I find out what he's doing. And the idea of working with this guy in an art department who loved the shows that we did, he sent me a picture of himself in a motion picture era uniform when he was like 12 or something. And I was like, wow, this guy, the show's in in the right hands, the right hands. So when he asked me to come aboard and I was amazed because this was like the end of a kind of an embargo, you know? Um, Yeah. I wanted to do it. Uh, And, the other thing, of course, was with Terry as the showrunner. It was like, you know, made in heaven for us. Uh, Terry has said numerous times that it wouldn't be Star Trek without us. And Dave Blast felt the same way. So we were back in the show, Mike Okuda and, uh, you know, and me. And uh, it 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 was like a homecoming, but it was also a homecoming because it, we knew TNG was returning for season three. And, you know, I was, I worked on TNG as a makeup artist. I lived with those actors. And now I was having my full circle thing as well. Uh, The the thing was that I remember Tobias Richter, you know, Tobias, uh, he does CG ship stuff and he does a lot of calendar stuff for me. He was saying, oh, I hope you get to do ships. And I remember saying to him, I would rather eat worms than do ships. And he's like, why? And I said, because everyone is looking at that ship with a magnifying glass. If I do graphics, they're not looking that close. They look at it, but you know, it's not like they're looking at it from every angle and they all have notes. And, you know, I mean, I did a bunch of that on enterprise and it could be quite daunting sometimes. And uh, so when Dave asked me to come on board, I thought he was going to have me do graphics and then he, when I found out he wanted me to do ships with John, <laughs> I think I had a panic attack when he first told me. Uh, and the first day I started, I'm like, Jesus Christ, what are we doing? <laughs> and, I, and I remember Dorothy saving me, coming in and say, you're Doug effing Drexler. You just shut up now and you be Doug. And it just like, she just pulled me out of this, you know, panic attack. And I, I had used cult... The cult, we were laid off during COVID. I used that to really brush up on my modeling skills. You know, in the past, I often had, we had people we hired who were known for being modelers, like on BSG and stuff like that. And um, uh, 
I knew I wanted to get to the point where I could build anything, anything at all. And that's when I started building over over the COVID pandemic. I was building, said, okay, I don't want to build starships because starships won't really teach you that much about modeling. I want to build automobiles. You know, I built a model of the, uh, you know, the Futura and I built, you know, I mean, really curvy because I figured if you could model an automobile, you could model anything. And just when I had built like my third car, that's when Dave asked me to come on board. And I was like, oh, my God, the timing is just so perfect. And so, um, you know, we would have big group meetings about the ships. There'd be Dave there and John there. And we'd have, you know, Thomas Marone, you know, from uh, uh, on, uh, Star Trek Online, because those guys are really good. Uh, I really like a lot of the stuff they've done. And uh, and we'd have big meetings about it. And then it would it would kind of go to me and John. John would do sketches. I'd start building models. And every approval model of every ship on season three went through me. You know, I mean, there were some designs in there, like, for instance, the Titan, which was based on Bill Krause's Shangri-La, which was a, you know, a fan design that uh, Terry saw online. Uh, and Bill is like an old friend of mine at this point. I think I've had him. I consider myself to be the guy who discovered Bill Krause that I saw his stuff online and asked him to do a calendar page. I think that was seven years ago, and he's done a page ever since. And, you know, Terry saw that and said, I want to take this and, you know, adapt it. And so, you know, it would be my job to take the Shangri-La, put uh, Stargazer style nacelles on it, put Stargazer style uh, bridge module on it, because it, we were using the same bridge. Uh, and, and that's the way Starfleet works anyway. All the pieces are interchangeable, you know. So, you know, the uh, uh, the villain ship and um, I have to be careful what I say. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll, you, I'll give you an off ramp before I go. And I, I we have one more wonderful caller waiting. Um, and I'm going to leave you with this. I would just like to hear, think way back in the archives, your very first convention experience. And then I'm going to say goodbye. Okay. And it's been a pleasure talking to you, sir. It's great and talking to you. John and Norman, we're live again. Yay. Paul, Yay. Take care. Thank you. We are <laughs> glad hey to be back. My very yeah. first convention experience. I am I will say that I was at the very first Star Trek convention in New York City, uh, across from Penn Station there. I think it was like 1971 or something like that. They expected a few hundred people and like 2,000 showed up. And that was like the kickoff for the big conventions. And, uh, you know, now Anthony Fredrickson, who was with us on so many shows, and I grew up with in high school, had made a phaser two, you know, the little cr the cricket-like one, uh, out of balsa wood, based on what he saw in, uh, you know, in, in photographs and things, and polished it, and the little, you know, piece of metal on top that you press that's kind of quilted looking and stuff, he drew it with a pencil. <laughs> we were waiting in line to go in, and he took that out. And you got to remember, this was a time where there was nothing. Maybe the AMT kit to make a Star Trek. And, you know, I mean, there, a crowd, a mob of people gathered around him to look at that piece of balsa wood that he carved out. <laughs> you know, there's so many good things you could have now. Then it was like you had to make it yourself or, you know. So that was my, oh, and, and of course, Gene Roddenberry ran the projector and and and, and spoke over, uh, the first time I ever saw the blooper reels was at that convention, and he narrated all the blooper reels. 
And, uh, and, and he showed his black and white version of the cage. Never seen that before. You know, so that was, that's my amazing convention story. Nice. Uh, Hey, Paul, thank you so much. And by the way, Kim is standing by as our next caller, but uh, I, I do want to go into the chat really quickly here because Vince, who is in the chat on Facebook, says, and this is a very straightforward question, Doug, which is your favorite ship design? I love the NX-01. Well, I mean, I love the NX-01 too, but there'd be no NX-01 without the original. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've ever seen that piece of video, on YouTube of Neil deGrasse Tyson at the Starship Smackdown at the convention, I think in New York, about what's the greatest starship. No one knew he was in the audience. And he gets up and talks about the original Enterprise like it's the sexiest thing and and (laughs) explains how you have to remember what that looked like when it first came out, when everyone was just used to silver flying saucers and rocket silver rocket ships and stuff there was nothing to compare to it and still i mean look science fiction designs are pretty fleeting you know they can go out of style pretty fast but the how the hell has that design managed to hang on for a half a century still look believable and spawn so many variants it's absolutely incredible so there's nothing like the original but yeah, well, I love the NX, you know. Um, <laughs> you're uh, you're getting a seconded here from Scott Palm, who says Enterprise TOS. And by the way, also in the chat, David says, uh, here's a question with uh, Orville stars heading to STLV in August uh, for an obvious Orville theme panel. Will you make an appearance? And I believe off camera you said, yeah, Vegas is on your radar. Well, it's the Star Trek convention. They're going to do yeah. a global panel. Yeah. Well, my plan is at this point, you know, I mean, it's a little more difficult for me to get away right now because Dorothy used to be, mm-hmm. used to back me up. She could take care of the parrot. You know, <laughs> I've got a parrot that's 42 years old. I've had the whole time. Wow. And, um, you know, you can't just have anybody watch a parrot. Uh, they'll, they'll, oh. they'll, uh, you know, take them apart. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a dog or a cat. They're crazy. And, uh, <laughs> I used to have a bird mom who used to babysit for him and she's not around anymore. So before then I have to figure out somebody to babysit for my, my birdie boy. Yeah. I'm terrified of your parents. So, uh, <laughs> me, too. <laughs> me too. He's in charge. Let me tell you. I know. I know. <laughs> we'll find somebody. Uh, all right. So we're going to go to our last caller, I believe who is Kim waiting by patiently. Kim, how are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing okay. Hey, welcome. And what is on your mind for Doug? Well, I just want to say, hey, great. All your um, your ex- explorations with Star Trek. I mean, I, I think it's great that you've done what you've done with Star Trek. You know? Thank you. Um, yeah. And and I, I hope you continue. Well, I, you know, I mean, is my Star Trek over at this point? I would not dare say it, that it is because it just hasn't gone away <laughs> yet <laughs> after all this time. And, well, look, I mean, you never know. I, it, I, I would say this. If, if Terry Metalis came back to do another show and he brought Dave Blass with him and he's working with Dave right now in Witch Mountain, you know, so they like working together. I would jump at doing that, you know. 
Do you uh, feel like uh, do you feel like we've kind of crossed a hurdle here? Because there, it, when the J.J. Abrams movies started, uh, the first one came out in 2009, and then Discovery debuted in 2017, there was this sort of unspoken rule almost. We're moving beyond. This is our yeah. new thing. This is a different thing. We want a new team, uh, fresh ideas. But now we've kind of come full circle, I, I and there is an embrace. I yeah. yeah, I agree. I think that, that curse may have been broken there, you know? Yeah. Um, also because they've come to a point where they realize that every show doesn't have to look exactly like the other show, you know, because, mm-hmm. because I mean, I know at first they were saying that discovery was the prime timeline, but once they realized it wasn't working out, they started saying it's a different timeline altogether, which I think is the safest thing you could do. If you're not moving ahead into the future, if you want to go backwards and change things, You've got to make it another timeline. You're going to offend so many of your your fans uh, when you do that. Um, but, yeah, I hope so. I would like to. I mean, I love Star Trek, you know, <laughs> and, I, and I'd love to see us do it again under the right circumstances. You know, I don't want to. It was a, it was a great thrill and an honor to work with Dave and Terry because I knew that they cared about the work had, that had been done previously, and they wanted that thread that connected everything to continue running through it. Up until 2004 or five, there was this amazing continuity. I mean, you had the encyclopedia that tied everything together in the tech manual, and you could count on things. That's ha- part of the fun of the show, mm-hmm. uh, that you study it and you know it, and you could count on it. If you start changing things, it you're going to end up rubbing a lot of people the wrong way. As long as you say it's an, a multiverse, I think you're okay, you know? Until I c- came to the realization that it has to be a multiverse, I was a little upset in the beginning, you know, when I saw some of the stuff that was changing. You know, well, Discovery, for one thing, the ship. And that's just me, you guys. It's just a personal <laughs> opinion. To me, it looks like a science fiction design. Um, but uh, a lot of people love it, so, you know. I'll fess it. I'll fess up to something that Mike uh, posted here in the chat. He says, a little behind the scenes, Norm has been smiling from ear to ear just listening to Doug. That's true. I've been a little bit silent <laughs> and uh, and enjoying what Doug's been saying. And uh, you know what? Um, something that happens, you know, I think with all of us as fans, you know, we get a little kind of like caught up in our own narrative, you know, with what we think should be, what we think shouldn't be. And I think that sometimes we lose touch with why we love this in the first place, you know? And I think Doug is a great ambassador for making us all remember looking at Star Trek, why we love Star Trek in the first place, there's a certain joy that's intangible that it brings us. There's a spark that it brings our lives, you know, and whether it's one series or another series, the point is that we're all here tonight and spending our time with each other and listening to Doug because Star Trek in some way, shape or form has brought us to this moment. And that's why I'm just, as a fan, I'm just sitting here and like listening to Doug just (laughs) espouse his passion for it. And I think that that we need that every once in a while. So I thank you, Doug, for that. I really do. Oh, I'm honored. Thank you. Yeah. Humbling to hear that, really. Well, hey, that's, uh, you know, there's a lot of love to go around here. And uh, Doug, you're a, a fabulous guest, uh, a friend, and just uh, thank you for sharing your talent with this incredible franchise for so long that you have. And, uh, and I hope that we get to see even more. Uh, as we're even just now kicking off Picard season three, but hopefully even more beyond that. I'm very excited. I think it's really awesome. Excellent. The video is awesome. And 
Uh, oh, you know, if I don't know the talk, <laughs> but some of you may know the story about how Michael Dorn loved my name. Drex. Oh, yeah. That's why there's Drex, son of, you know, yeah. uh, the Klingon Drex was named after me. But my, uh, Michael Dorn used to, whenever he would see me at the top of that voice, from across the stage three times, every time, every time. And when I saw him at the premiere, as soon as he saw me, <laughs> after decades, Drexler, Drexler, Drexler. Well, Ira Bear saw my jacket. It said Drex on it. And he said, Drex. And I go, yeah, it was, you know, Dick Smith used to call me that. It was like my nickname. And the next day in the rewrites, there was, you know, Drex the Klingon, who, of course, Michael Dorn kills, right? Of course. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Excellent. Well, hey, I want to remind everybody uh, who has been listening tonight that the conversation always continues in our Discord. So if you want to join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash mission log, that is your key to get into the mission log Discord, uh, where we'll be chatting about not just Star Trek and the Orville and everything else, all sorts of fandoms represented there. So uh, you can join us for as little as a dollar a month and uh, adjust your pledge as you see fit. Patreon.com slash mission log to get into our discord. Norman, what's coming up next week? Well, next week, it's kind of, I don't know. It's kind of like I don't know, a regular week, maybe. Yeah, kind yeah, of like yeah a, no big you know, deal. Just a yeah, run of the mill week. Oh, come on, yeah. folks. You know, we're kicking off season three of Picard. <laughs> season three of Picard starts next week for Mission Log Live. Join John and Holly Amos for episode one, their recap and their review. So that's going to be exciting. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of conversation to be had about that particular episode. And before we say goodbye, remember, this is probably the best way to celebrate maybe, you know, the season premiere of Picard. Our friends over at Star Trek Wines want to know what you're sipping while you're watching Picard. So remember, you can get the real Chateau Picard exclusively from them in vintage 2221, 2386, and 2401 bottles. Plus, you can get the United Federation of Planets Medallion free when you add it to your card and your cart and use the code Roddenberry at checkout. That's the best way, the best way to celebrate season one, season three, episode one of Picard. I'll get that right maybe by next week or maybe when I'm hosting the show. <laughs> All right. And with that, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Technical production on Mission Log and Mission Log Live by the inconclusive Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from Roddenberry Podcasts. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. Thank you to everyone who joined us live or later. We look forward to chatting with you again next week. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.